Hey, this is Joseph Zala, and this is Grits and Grids, a weekly discussion with restaurant and beverage industry designers and professionals on all things creative. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, everyone. I have hopefully a familiar voice for all you guys and ladies out there. It's Mr. Jose Rosado from The Angry Millennial. Uh, he's also an avid photographer, pretty stellar one at that, and recently has launched, uh, I don't want to call it a passion project, I guess it is, but it, it's um, a very serious thing called Creatives Against Depression. Uh, he's out of Baltimore, super creative, and an all-around righteous dude, uh, or so the kids tell me. <laughs> so, Mr. Josie Rosado, why don't you uh, just give us a little lowdown, introduce yourself, and then... Uh, tell us about Creatives Against Depression. Sure, sure. So first of all, obviously, you know, thank you for, for having me on. Um, and so, you know, my name is Jose Rosado. Uh, I am a photographer for the last 10 years, I'm also a writer and uh, and teaches in local colleges. And as a, you know, 10-year creative, uh, I started noticing that a lot of, I should say, let's just say self-made people, entrepreneurs, people who you know run their own thing, uh, who happen to be creative, have a really tough time nowadays with social media uh, and everyone having their own personal brand to uh, upkeep that they couldn't ever really be honest about some of the struggles uh, that come with, you know, doing your own thing and, and being your own boss. And it, um, people don't tell you, it kind of sucks, <laughs> you know, um, it's got yeah. some great highs, but also some really low lows. And, um, we wanted to kind of erase that stigma and, you know, really kind of, um, just open up the conversation and make sure that people were, were really kind of starting to talk about it and that sort of thing. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, my getting really personal, um, I grew up with, a fantastic mom and I love her to death, but she has been tormented with bipolar and mm. manic depression for my entire childhood. So for me, the conversation about mental health has been one I'm very familiar with. And of course, uh, very, I don't want to say sympathetic because I, I, you know, I don't feel sympathy, but empathetic, mm. like understanding mm. that this is, it really is a disease just like cancer, just right. like any other disease, unfortunately, I think, especially in America, you know, stateside, it, it only recently has been able to get the just due that it deserves from the public and people starting to understand that this is not something that you wake up and decide, oh, today I'm going to be manic now mm -hmm. <laughs> and tomorrow I'm going to be sad. It's uh, not emotion. It's something very chemically right. involved. Right. Um is this something that you've experienced personally or, you know, indirectly, like someone around um, you, yeah. if you're comfortable? Yeah, of course. And of course. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I think for a lot of what people do, um, you know, especially as like initiatives, you know, that's, that's what I've been calling it, you know, um, that it's something that is very personal. And for me, you know, it's something that I've struggled with for years and, you know, it, so you mentioned like it's a lot like any other sickness, any other disease, which is what it is. You know, it's it's a brain disease, and and a lot of people, um, unfortunately, kind of just think of it like, oh, it's just you know, you just have a negative outlook, or you know, snap out of it, or come on, cheer up, whatever. <laughs> Dude, snap snap out of it is one that I, no, I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt, but um, you know, I heard family yep. members 
say to mm-hmm. my mom growing up, like snap mm-hmm. out of it. And you know what? It's it's just like anything else. Honestly, when whenever you're sick, period, no matter what you have, um, sometimes the people who who, who love you the most, honestly, uh, they mean well, but they just say the worst things. And it's not, yeah. you know, not, it's not against them because honestly, it's just that they don't understand. And that's fine um, because that's what this conversation should do. You know, being more open about it, people talking about it will help those people who don't know what um, people who struggle with depression and mental health issues go through. And it's, you know, for me, I remember the first time I ever really kind of dealt with it was I was 14 years old. You know, I, I moved from, um, you know, New Jersey, to New York, and I was living in a hotel and, I just hated it. And, and, you know, you sit there and think, well, that's just, you know, preteen angst or whatever, but you know, it's, it's really not surprising to say that some people struggle at that age because you're, you know, your brain doesn't stop, um, you know, growing and evolving until like you're 25. You know, so you think about it around that time, factor in hormones, forget it. You're a hot mess, you know? My brain stops around 12, <laughs> I think. But I, get, I get normal people. Right, around 25. right, right, right. And, and, you know, it really is sad because when I was 17, it kind of crept back in my life when, you know, for all intents and purposes, I should be happy. Right. And that's the problem. That's what, and it's like, when you know something's wrong is if you have a lot of traumatic events that happen to you, that's, you know, it's easy to just point at that and say, okay, this is why I'm sad. Um, but imagine being a 17 year old kid who's, you know, doesn't really want for much at all, has an amazingly supportive family. Um, you know, just even got a new car and I, you know, me, I'm using the cars and I couldn't, I could care less. Mm-hmm. I never drove it. I didn't go out. Um, and my right. parents were like, you know, they, that's when they knew something was wrong was because, you know, when it, when it's like stuff that, you know, you, you genuinely are into and you have interests and hobbies and you just suddenly have, you know, you could give a shit less. I'm sorry. I don't know if you can curse on this thing, but, <laughs> um, you know, it's, <laughs> It's, you know, it's, it's really, it's kind of like, we were, whoa, you know, something's up and, um, you know, and then you fast forward into my twenties and it's one of those things where honestly, much like a lot of addictions and other things, it's, you know, you're never really quote unquote cured, you know, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Know. I mean, the, the word addiction is an interesting word too. Um, cause I, I agree that, um, not that I have to disagree. I mean, so what you're saying is very true. Like, you know, it, it's teenage angst. It's, but at some point it stops mm-hmm. being that, you know, um, for a lot of people. And then you realize, no, this is actually bigger than teenage right. angst. Um, and addiction though, I think is another, and of course we're not psychologists or anything, but just, you know, I think just life lessons. I've realized that there are just some people that are almost addicted to the mm-hmm. bad. You know, like it's almost like if they became happy, I, I think I found myself in this. Like if I found myself happy, I'd, I'd almost ruin right. it because what was comfortable for me was to be brooding and sad and mm-hmm. tormented. Um, and, you know, because I, I started as a musician and then ended up a designer um, through all that. But I wonder, this is just speaking out loud, I just I wonder how, how much depression is almost well i'm comfortable being right this and honestly that's that's a creative right i mean you sit there and say like the stereotype of creatives is we're broody we're moody we drink we smoke and you know those um life uh, experiences help shape your art right whether you're a writer a painter mm-hmm. photographer designer a musician especially like 
you Chef. know, anything. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, you know, it's almost, uh, it's almost like they they run in parallel, you know, and, and that was something that I was trying to articulate in an article I wanted to write. And I'm still, I'm still going to try and do it is like, but like you said, it's a much bigger conversation where if you ask the question is bouts with mental health, or let's just say are dark periods a, a, a necessary evil when it comes to being an artist because I'm sure you can attest and I know I can that when I was at my lowest lows I made some of my best art and and it's <laughs> right? and to say that is like it's it's kind of messed up right because you know then you sit there and say think about it that's like people if they like the beatles and they say oh when they got clean it got boring or you know taylor's Al- right, Allison right. Chains, you know I mean, uh, Adele yeah. right everyone thought man when she yeah. suddenly had no breakups to write about <laughs> like the most amazing song yeah. to just cry to in your car um you know now it's right. like what's your music gonna be like and and it sounds horrible to say that but that's 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 kind of a, a good question you know it's it's it merits asking because you know it, it, it's for a lot of people if you're in that period they always say make art if you're down make art and that will help you hopefully get out of it and you know for me i noticed that that was the case um and then like again you sit there and say well shit is it just like i'm either happy and i'm not doing i'm not really into my art or i'm just you know rock bottom but i'm i'm making the best art ever and it's you know it's really tough it is it's um i think it's almost because well, it's almost unfair, right? So, you know, using Adele as an example, and let's use Lane Staley, who Amy I think Winehouse is even? maybe no, one of the most, you know, yeah, I celebrate her sobriety every year, but it's also because she's not alive anymore, and so it's really rude. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think the problem is that you, okay, you, like uh, I'll take Lane Staley because Allison Change was like my foray into what I would call real real mm-hmm. person music, like the stuff that's not on the radio, even though they were on the radio. But at the time, that was very heavy. It was very, man, it was dark. And God, that was the right thing right. for me with dealing with, um, you know, my mm-hmm. mom's sickness. And eventually, maybe a little bit of that is in me, uh, I've come to realize. But, um, you know, he he made this amazingly dark brooding music and then he got clean and then it wasn't dark and brooding anymore. But I think it's because it's really hard for people to disseminate that there were two different right. people, you know? So there's the person that was in this, this like you said, dark and mm-hmm. ugly place, which is eventually consumed him completely. Um, but then there was this clarity person and it's not that it was bad music, but it's it's easy to like weigh it it's against different. each other because you're like, wow, yeah, it's different because he's a different human. And, you know, art is very much from the gut and from the heart. And if your heart is happy or happier or clean, it's going to be different right. art. It's just uh, like I, I, I love all their work, you know, but there's definitely a time for Jar of Flies and there's definitely a time right. for Dirt. You know, as for for those that don't know, those are names of albums. Um, And so it's really interesting. You know, I found that it's tough because, you know, I think you do torment with that. Like I knew a kid growing up, he played in a band that we played with a lot. And 
this kid was so good at creating relationships and utterly destroying <laughs> them as a means to fuel right. his art. And I don't know if it was on purpose by design or um, it's just right. what he knew. Like he, you know, he would find like happiness with someone and then he would just demolish it completely. Like not a, Hey, maybe I'll see you later. Like a complete burning of the house and tearing up. Like right, there's no right, going right. back. Um, like such, so, so ugly as far as breakups are concerned, but amazing writer and singer with amazing heart behind his work. It's just, I think his heart had to be damaged in order to make yeah. that music. And you know, and, and like you said, that crazy. Like going back to Amy, you know, like have you ever seen the documentary, it's a great, it's a great documentary on Netflix about her and her story. And I'll be honest, I knew, you know, I, we were around the same age and I knew a lot about her, but it wasn't hugely into her music or, or like her story. And then and obviously when she passed away and, and everything else for a lot of people, they're just like, Oh, well, okay. Saw that coming. Right. Because right. obviously with her, with her addiction and everything else, she was, you know, a, a bit of a train wreck, right. In terms of her personal life. Mm-hmm. But when I watched it, one of the things that I, I kind of came away with was a deeper understanding it at how she struggled or why she struggled. And, you know, you said it like her breakout hit was a song about not wanting to go to rehab. Right. And then right. that was, you know, by, but, and, and that's a breakout hit. She was making music for years before that, but that was when of course she rose to stardom. And then you have, you know, someone who's struggling with suddenly overnight success. And then once she got sober, right. It was then, like you said, it, w- it was a struggle because everyone was like every concert, every uh, press engagement, whatever, wanted her to play that song. And when she got on the other side, like you said, all that song reminded her of was that really dark place she was in when she did it. And she wanted to forget about it. And she wanted to make m- new work, more work that she thought people would enjoy more and was was fulfilling to her more and every single time people were just wanting to hear that one song. So it ended up kind of like becoming like a, a demon, you know, that, that ended up like haunting her because, you know, she, yeah, yeah she literally her. would go to concerts and people were like, I want to hear it. And she's like, I'm not playing it. And then people would like riot. And it's like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And she's like, I have new stuff. Yeah. They're like, nope, play that song. <clears throat> well, it's interesting. It's like, uh, you know, <laughs> If you're doing it, if you're doing art, if you're making art for an outlet, is it really wise to make that your profession? (laughs) Hey, I mean, you look at like most musicians, they're just broke, right? So you're just like, well, yeah, this is my outlet because I I don't know anything else. And I think that's for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. you know, you sit there and say, well, why don't you just get a job? And it's like, yeah, they might, they might get normal (laughs) jobs to, you know, pay rent here and there, but that like that art is never going to go away. And that's going to be their, always their, their calling. So it's kind of like in that sense, you know, you can sit there and say, well, this is the only thing I ever know how to do. If I'm good enough and I pull myself into it, Hey, maybe it'll become a career. And if not, you still have it. Right. Well, I guess it's, you know, I mean, obviously it's not the solution for everyone. And if it is all you have, it's all you have. Um, there, I mean, there was a clear moment in my life where, you know, I was playing in a band. We, you know, we were weekend warriors. So we, you know, we would play like the Friday, Saturday, maybe a Sunday matinee and then go back to our lives. And there was a moment where, <clears throat> you know, I was playing with them wow. for 10 years. So they were like brothers to me. They still are. I mean, I, you know, the one, the lead singer and who started it, I, I talked to all the time anyway. Um, 
I, I just came in the one day and I'm like, guys, I got to, I'm right. done, man. I'm done. And they're like, why? Like they, you know, of course hurt and pissed off. And I'm like, I just, uh, man, I'm not mad anymore. Right. So playing this kind of music makes me feel like a poser. Mm. And they're like, well, well what are you going to do? Start a pop punk band. And then, so I did. Cause you know, thank you for saying <laughs> that. Of course now, now I will. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, I don't know. It's um, that's tough for people, and I, I'll be honest. I miss playing music right. all the time, um, but it was never going to be a career for me because I never wanted it mm-hmm. to be a career. Just I'm the kind of guy that'll research everything way too much and then psych myself <laughs> out. Um, and for that, it wasn't really a psych out. It was like, no, this industry is mm-hmm. really ugly. Um, the music industry is right. terrible. Uh, record labels, especially back then, they were you were a tax write-off. So you, if you got signed, it was probably because they needed to, they were going to hedge a bet and say, all right, maybe they make it, maybe they don't, but at the very least we've spent this money so we can write off this as mm-hmm. a, a loss. Um, and it was sharecropping at its most huh, perfect uh, sense. And I, after reading that and, and learning that, I'm like, I don't want that because I don't want to be broke at 35 and wondering what I did with my mm-hmm. the last 20 years. Uh, you know, and kind of going off base here but you know there was also a guy that i, I grew up next to it, it was my uh, a friend of mine's dad and this guy had this beautiful wood shop in his back in the backyard and inside of a barn this guy could make anything out of wood like lathe anything beautiful like he made me a baseball bat he, he used to make us stilts <laughs> to play on um but he was always out of a job you know i remember my dad confronted him was like man well, i mean dude <laughs> You are really good at this. Why don't you do that? And he just very simply shut it down. Was like, no, that's that's what I do yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, so there's something to that, you know. Maybe if you're a really good painter, but it really is you getting that hurt or that darkness or that depression out onto a, you know, a piece of uh, whatever you're painting on, whatever medium. Maybe that's not meant to be out in the world right. for everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And you said it. I I personally have had um, similar struggles, right? When I was shooting full time and, and I I only picked up my camera when I was getting paid. And, you know, at the time I was single in my twenties, so I was doing okay, you know? And, but like you just said, it became a job and I stopped seeing, you know, the, 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 you know, I started, I stopped being in love with it, honestly. And, I always was like a very big picture kind of guy. So I looked at my mind and I said, look, if I take a year off and I just go do something else and I just make photography a hobby again and do it on the side, take the jobs I want and, 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 and do whatever I want, maybe then I can always come back. Right. Because I knew like photography you can do until the day you die. If you're, if you're of sound mind and body, you can, you can pick up a camera whenever you want, right? So I said, there's no rush. You know, what's what's a year of my life? Nothing, right? And right. and a lot of the, and, I, and this has happened more than once, you know? So it was, it was one of those things that kind of had to happen. And like you said, when I started having a job and not needing the money and not caring, I was doing personal work and the work that I was getting paid for, suddenly I was getting five times the day rate because I just didn't need the money. And it was kind of funny right, how right. that worked out, right? 
because you sit there and say, if you're only paying rent through this thing, you might take less than what you think you're, you're worth because you have to stay busy in your mind. But to me, it was like, I had a job and I was like, I don't care if I get paid, you know? Oh, what's the rate? Five grand. Okay. Holy shit. <laughs> you know? And but you know, it was funny how that worked. Right. And I mean, you think of like, have you ever heard of uh, another great documentary is, um, Finding Vivian Meyer. And oh my God, dude, you got to check it out. So it was the same thing. It was a photographer who was a um, a nanny, right, in Chicago, way in like the, the 40s and 50s, right? And no one knew, literally, her. she 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 passed away towards the end. She struggled with, with mental health issues, right? She passed away. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago that someone bought a trunk at a state sale and, uh, came across a bunch of rolls of film and it was all her work, her life's work and people who were her best friends and her family never knew she was a photographer. And they literally, they stumbled across one of the, like literally probably one of the most prolific black and white street portrait photographers of the 20th century. And it's crazy to say that, right? That we never knew because like you just said for her, it was very much her own thing. It was, it was not for it anyone for else. <laughs> and right. the, the great thing was that in the documentary, they don't shy away from it. They interview people in her life and, and the guy, you know, who, who, you know, did the whole thing asked, you know, the people, if Vivian were still alive today, what do you think she'd think about what's going on right now? And they're like, she'd hate it. She'd hate it. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? And, and, and I respect him right. for leaving that in because yeah, like some people could argue like, wow, you're exploiting a person's, you know, legacy. She didn't want anyone to see it. Who are you to be able to now plaster her out there? And now if you look her up, there's gallery viewings and exhibitions all over the world of her work. Wow. And, you know, and and that's something that you kind of struggle with, you know, because even me, I'm sitting here going like, oh, my God, it works amazing. And I'm sitting there being like, oh, man, I kind of feel bad, though. Almost right. like a peeping Tom, right? Like you're, you're looking at someone's a piece of someone that shouldn't have mm-hmm. been seen. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, you know, one of the things that you had said early on was about <laughs> people saying, you know, mm-hmm. snap out of it and stuff, getting, getting back yeah. on the topic of depression. But um, I think one of the one of the toughest things I think for people to realize is that, um, you know, while we're giving all of, you know, while we're trying to fix someone, th- those who aren't dealing with depression, so the outsiders mm-hmm. looking in. In a lot of ways, I think they need to fix themselves, the outsiders looking in and realize that they have some right. learning to do. Um, but at the same time, I, I feel that not enough weight or help is given right. to them because um, it's so focused on this person who's going through this illness. But we forget that that illness doesn't just take a toll on the person. It takes a toll on everyone right. around them in yeah. a lot of ways. Um, and I saw that with the way, you know, family members, you know, I, I, he- I heard bad things said about my mom and to my mom. However, looking back now with a clear sense, I'm like, God, well, how would I act if, you know, my my sister or whatever was like this mm-hmm. for so long, you know, and just when you think they're better, they get worse. And at some point it's like, man, I got my mm-hmm. own life. 
I have my own problems. Like this can't right. be my burden. And, you know, it sucks because you want to help. But, you know, same thing with like, let's go back to Amy Winehouse, like all the people in her life, like, oh, I saw that coming. But you didn't mm-hmm. really do anything, mm-hmm. did you? But at a certain point, it's kind of like, well, there wasn't anything for you right. to do. Um, you know, sometimes it's easier that, you know, like someone just wants to talk. But if that someone wants to talk every night over and over again about the same stuff, just to vent, when, when is enough enough for those people? And I think that's it's scary and it's sad and it's tough because, you know, essentially this illness led to, you know, a divorce. Um, it led to a strained relationship with my mom for a long time. It's now better than ever, but there was a time. Um, how do you, you know, so it's, it's creative against depression, but I guess what I'm getting at is that people forget that it's not a, a, a sole person that we're right. trying to help. Um, I think it needs to be a collective effort and, um, a journey that the people that are closest to them also have to take. And I think when that's forgotten or if people shirk it and say, Oh no, there's nothing wrong with me. It's all that person. Um, it's not doing anyone any good. I mean, like, like we all know, right. Education is power, right. Knowledge is power. Right. And, and, and to say, like you said, it's, we're human beings. So yes, if you have someone who struggled with something for their entire lives, and you are a close person or a close relative or loved one, it can be tough, right? No one's no one's discrediting that. No one's discrediting that it has shitty moments where you sit there and say, I'm questioning my resolve for someone I love. Mm-hmm. But it it a lot of times you'll hear people say, like, you know, they'll they'll argue where a lot of times if you you have someone struggling, they're they're almost seen as like you pity them or, or you, you're a victim of it, right? And people always say, well, no, that's not the case. You know, I'm actually, uh, I'm not broken, you know, like I'm still a person. This doesn't define me, but sometimes all they want is just, just be there, you know? And like you said it, the people that were close to Amy, guess what? If they were just there, you can tell her all the time you want her to get clean and you worry she's going to, she's going to die. But if she doesn't want the help, she's not going to get it. But if you just say, right. I'm still here, when you're ready to talk, I'm here. I care about you. I love you. I don't want to see you die. Then mm-hmm. when she did come around towards the end, you would have been there. But instead, those right. people left. And the only people left were the ones who were just trying to exploit her and it didn't eventually push her to take right. her own life. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because she. Uh, I mean, they had reason to. She was mm-hmm. a cash cow. Yeah, it makes sense. So, oh, and real quick, I just want to, on, on that know, topic. Yeah. So, yeah. knowing this, right? Knowing, like you said, that there there is a burden on the people who 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 are there for you, who struggle to understand it, and it's totally understandable. Um, that you just have to, you know, just again, just just be there. And so, recently with Critics Against Oppression, we teamed up with um, a, a local startup nonprofit called Together We Got This. And basically, we, in doing our research for both of our causes in parallel, we realized that there's nothing, literally nothing in terms of local support groups um, for people mm-hmm. struggling. And that's, that's local right. to Baltimore, or, Honestly, right? in general. Like, like, literally, you have hotlines and hospitals, and that's about it. And both of those are right. very last resort type things. 
and then you have therapy and medication. But that's not that's not something that's like just a weekly kind of support thing. However, like you mentioned, if you have cancer or if you're distressed or if you're an alcoholic or if you're a drug addict, any multitude of other things regarding the human body, there's a support group for you. Battered women right. or you or you beat your wife, whatever, there's a support group for you. Even family members who are dealing with loss, grieving, um, there's even support groups for people who go to support groups, right? You know, right. <laughs> but there's nothing for people with mental health. And, and I find that atrocious because of the huge problem we currently have in this country, yet no one wants to talk about it. So we decided, all right, screw it. Let's just start it, right? So this past week, we had our first meeting. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was uh, on Tuesday. So now we're going to start doing meetings every Tuesday outside Baltimore. And I was honestly in, in shock and was was brought to tears in, in a good way when yeah. we had our first meeting and, and I stood up and I said, I have a question. Raise your hand if you're not, if you don't currently struggle yourself, but you're here in support of someone that you love. And half the room shot up. Oh, yeah, that is awesome. And I, I was just like, wow, you know, and and I, and I sat there and I said, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here because it's hard. And and right. you're here because you want to help and you don't know how to help. And it's frustrating. And I get it. Yeah. But you have to. And, and part of why you're here is to hear your loved one talk about it, other people talk about it, to gain some understanding. Because you know what the frustrating thing is for someone who's struggling? Is sometimes they don't know why they're sad. They don't know what's yeah. right. They Oftentimes, don't know what's wrong. So imagine if someone says to you, hey, point out what's going on so I can help fix it. And you just go, I don't know. You know, I sit there and I sit right. there, like, imagine me, I'm... I'm I'm think I'm doing good one day and I, and I'm just looking for going through laundry and I, and I pick up a sock and just start crying for no reason. And I'm like, yeah, shit, you know, but how do you explain that to people? And it's not easy, but again, just by, you know, being there, that's a huge first step, you know, is saying that you're, you're literally trying and you're right. It's a showcase of love too. I mean, that's real love. Like you want to do something, but you you felt shackled. You don't right. know what to do because that person can't almost mm-hmm. like a baby. You know, can't exactly. tell you why I'm crying. I exactly. Just, you I know, am. and <laughs> and I talked to some people afterward, and uh, one was a, a woman with her husband, and me and her husband were talking, and he goes, "Dude, I, I hate to sound sexist, but you know how we are as men. We're fixers, and yes. I want to fix. When I see someone I love in pain, I want to help them. Want to fix it. And when you can't, it's like." the most painful feeling ever and especially husband and wife right i mean yeah it's that that's amazing that you got to experience that and hopefully it just keeps on growing i mean it'd be nice to have it in every town i think you know one of the things so i know that i'm probably prone or at least get a little bit of the effect from Mm -hmm. my mom's illness um but my journey, which anyone who's heard me on another podcast has already heard this, I don't want to bore her, but um, when I was living in Pennsylvania, I, mm-hmm. I was at my worst. You know, I was low of low of low. And uh, there was a good two years where I was working from home in, a, in an apartment, which means I never mm-hmm. left. 
you know, and so roll around to 637 o'clock. The only thing I knew I wanted was to not be there. So where do you go? You go out with your friends, you go to the bar and that's such a vicious cycle. So I think what I want to do is kind of wrap this up because this conversation could go (laughs) on for years. Um, But let's talk about some ways almost like exercises. Cause I think a lot of this has to be, like you said, Amy Winehouse did not want to mm. go to rehab. Um, she eventually did whatever, but a lot of this has to be self-starting and there has to be some ways to at least start the journey and process. Now, obviously if you are suffering from what I would consider acute, like, and like an illness, like you need to be talking mm-hmm. to someone professional. However, I think there's something about when you're a self-starter, a solo entrepreneur, or just starting out where you find yourself in these situations where you're overwhelmed, where you are sad for no reason, you can't figure out why. I think there are things that you can do that are healthy to uplift your spirit in a natural way. I think the lowest hanging fruit would be mm-hmm. working out. Um, it's the first thing that we stop doing when things get busy, but it's probably the last thing right. we should stop doing when things get overwhelming. Like taking the time out to to work out and whatever that means, I think could really help out a lot. Um, just the endorphin mm-hmm. release alone is huge. Um, and whether that means yoga, walking, running, biking, going to the gym, whatever. Um, I think that is, if I had to leave anyone with a piece of knowledge that I don't follow myself, but need to, um, is, try to like work out at least 30 to two minutes to an hour a day, even if it's just a walk, like it clears right. things up so much for me. But what about you? Are there things yeah. that you do that you try to, it, depression is not something right. you can break, but I think it's something that you can fight a little bit and you got to find ways to find that happiness. Oh, so you what, said what it. Do you do? I mean, when I, when I was, when I moved to Philly and, and I was in my twenties and I had no work, um, you know, it was in 2008, 2009, it was like a horrible time to be looking for a job. And, yeah. uh, and photography was slow. Cause I, I, you know, I just moved to a new, a whole new market. Um, I, I was, yeah, I was, I was in a really dark place. And oddly enough that I, that was when I got into cycling was, you know, I went to my parents' house cause they lived in Jersey. Um, they had a beach house in Jersey, like an hour away. And I would just go there every weekend just to get out of the Philly, you know? out of my apartment and I, and I found my old like BMX bike that I haven't ridden like that point almost 10 years. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to ride that. So I brought it to the city and I'd ride around the city. And then I, you know, I started having fun. And then when I went back to the beach house, my dad had an old Cannondale uh, hybrid. And I was like, Oh, let me ride that. And then I realized I like going far. It was a lot of fun, you know, cause it was just, you know, clear your head, like you said, and, and, and just see how far you can go and all that kind of stuff. And then around that time, I just really got into cycling and I was literally, because I, I'm not going to lie. I just didn't want to be in my apartment. Right. Like you said, like, right. And I would do anything I could. So I knew at the time I, I could drink, but that would be a really tricky thing. And I was also dating someone who had a bit of an alcoholic problem. So for me, it was like, all right, I, I don't want to add to that. Well, what can I do? And then I just would start riding my bike and I would literally go for bike rides during the week for four or five hours just around the city, mm-hmm. you know, and then I'd come home and be like, all right, let me send out some more emails. Let me do whatever. And then on the weekends, um, it rekindled a relationship with my dad because he got back into cycling nice. and then we, you know, both got road bikes and then we'd, I'd go to, you know, Jersey and we'd go for, you know, 30, 40 mile rides together, you know, and we'd go to bike shops awesome. together. And it was, you know, 
for me, it was that really helped, you know, and yeah, I'm beyond being honest, like you said, lately, yeah, I haven't been riding my bike the last few weeks, you know, or a month, but, yeah. but I've been meaning to, right. I'm going to ride this weekend when I go to visit my parents again, at the beach house. And, um, but it, you know, definitely, like you said, exercise, even in the simplest form of just going out for a walk helps. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and even also, you know, just trying to practice being more self-aware, you know, and, and people who are wondering what do you mean by that and simply just being present in any sense of the word, you know, if, if you happen to have a family, you know, like me and Jess have, mm-hmm. have two kids and, and I'll sit there and I'll sometimes I'll go, Oh my God, here I am. Like just in my office, you know, straining to get work done, getting pissed off. Nothing's being done anyway. And I'm just getting in a worse and worse mood. And I'm like, and my kids are upstairs just on their iPads, not even doing anything. And Jess is working. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know what? let me just mm-hmm. go up and just, we'll just play. We'll do whatever. Hey, you want to, yeah. You want to go to Twitter? You want to go outside? You want to play Xbox, whatever, you know, just spend time with my kids. And, you know, it's, it's that, you know, like for me, it was just getting out of the house. You know, I used to, I still do. I, I went last night, I, I go to the movies by myself all the time. Um, just again, to get out of the house, you know? And, um, and it was a lot of those things that just kind of helped, you know, but at the same time, it's, you know, much like people who, who relapse, who have addictions, it's, it's, it's hard, you know, it, it's hard to ever say, mm-hmm. okay, I beat it. You know, there's going to be tough days and there's going to be good days. Yeah. You know, yeah, self-awareness is huge. And that's something my mom talks about now too. I mean, she, she didn't mm-hmm. beat it. Mm-hmm. It's still there always will be right. it doesn't go away it doesn't go in remission even it's a it is a constant thing um but she's very mm-hmm. self-aware now and um <clears throat> her her awareness kind of lets her mind i mean i'll throw it out there really big for me i was living in harrisburg pennsylvania i had a ton of friends i, I still love them a lot they're great um i don't get to see them as much as i'd like to however I went to Puerto Rico for my great grandma's wow. 90th birthday with about 36 wow. of my family members. In what I would call the slowest surprise ever. Cause you can't <laughs> surprise a 90 year old. Yeah. Grandma, we got to tell you something. There's more people coming. Okay. <laughs> Brace yourself. Um, she's no longer yeah. with us, which makes that trip even yeah. better. Um, Cause it was like four or five generations wow. of people that went and, um, you know, I'm alone in a hotel room at night, everyone's sleeping and I'm in my own room and I'm, I'm just taking assessment of where I'm at. And I went down the list. I'm like, listen, I know I'm not happy. In fact, I would say I'm depressed, but I got to do something. And quite honestly, medical wasn't an option because I didn't have health insurance. And this is, this is 2009 yeah. or 2010, actually. So again, worst time to be trying to do anything, honestly. But, um, I took assessment. I'm like, okay, I've tried to move my apartment. I moved my apartment. I tried to extract negative people from my life. I've, I've done that. I, uh, I tried changing gears in the business. Uh, done. And yet here I am. I, I look around and I have it pretty good, but I'm still, I'm not okay. Um, and so I just, I made the decision. Then I, I looked up, you know, for, for me, it was God. You know, that doesn't have to be for everyone. I said, you know, I was just having some sort of spirituality, but for me, it was God. I looked up and I said, you know what? I'm, I'm done mm-hmm. forcing this. So I'm going to put together a resume and I am going to apply to every single job mm-hmm. in the world. 
My only requirement is that I maintain my my uh, mm-hmm. quality of life, which wasn't very high. It's not like I'm a CEO trying to go get another CEO job. Um, I, I need to live, and I want to eat more than right. ramen and hot dogs. So, you know, um, so my pact is you put me where you want me, and I will go. And so I applied everywhere, from London to Paris to Spartansburg, Virginia, to Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam, believe it or not. I put a resume in there because that's my like, this is my promise. My part is to do my best to get any job that has the salary that I need to live in that city at the same level I live here. I I let go. You mm-hmm. you put me where you want me. And I ended up in wow. Atlanta and, you know, look back on that journey. And I'm like, it has been the best decision I've ever made. It's been six years and about a month. It'll be six years. And. I met the person of my dream. She's amazing. Married her. You know, we have a little puppy that I love to death and we're looking at a new house here shortly. And, you know, we have our rough spots, but I got to say, I have never reached the sadness and darkness that I was at when I was in, right. in Harrisburg. Not once. Not once. Even at my yeah. worst. I and wasn't and there. you know, it's funny. I have a very similar story. That was me in New York, Right. I had friends. That was the longest I ever lived in one area. I had a lot of friends, but I was just not happy. And, you know, I found myself almost every night I'd go out, I'd go drive to like one bar and I would, I would tell them I would do a game, right? I would say, I'm going to go to the bar and have one beer. And if, if during that beer, I see some of my friends, I'll stay. And if not, I'll, I'll leave that bar and go somewhere else. That's every time though. You're always going to, because the bartender's your friend, bro. So So it's like, I would do that. And the next thing you know, I would go to three or four bars in like two or three towns. And then some nights I would, I would, I would start that, let's just say at, you know, nine, nine 30. And then I would literally be home by like 10 30. You know, if, if no one was out or I was just unhappy and I would just come home. And I was living with my parents right. at the time. My mom was like, you know, what, what's up? Why are you back so soon? And I'm like, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I just didn't want to be out. And, and I started realizing that was it. Like that was everything. And I, at the time I had already lived in Philadelphia before and I had to come back and, and I was, I knew I wanted to go back. And that was part of it. it was like, you know, you get to an age when you're in the suburbs and it's like the house parties are over. So literally what do you have? You have bars. And chain right. restaurants and diners. Yeah. Apple you know what I mean? And I was yes. like, none of that stuff excites me. It's just sad. So right. I just, yeah, I just quit my job. Same thing. I just quit my job and started moving to Philly. And it wasn't yep. easy. But you know what? Again, same thing. It was the best choice I ever made. You know, because through that, I eventually hit my stride photography. I eventually got a great job, you know, at the time. And and, you know, I met Jess and, and here I am now in Baltimore, you know, same thing about, about six, seven years later, you know, in total. And it was a lot of ping ponging, you know, like I took a job in New York, went back to New York, was back in Philly three months later, you know, and I mean, but right. it, you know, again, all of that was like you said, it was just being, you know, like, again, self-aware enough to realize I'm not happy. And if, if I can't, if I've made little steps and they're not working, then I need to make a big step. And yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I tell people all the time, all my friends, you know, who struggle and who are young and have no kids. I'm like, dude, 
just move. Like, just literally go to a new right. city, have new experiences, meet new people. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying move to, you know, Vietnam, but at the same time, just move somewhere. And if it doesn't work out in six months, a year, just move back. Like, what's the big deal? Right. You know? And right. and for some of my friends, they've done it. You know, they've done it. They moved to new cities and, and they reinvented themselves and, and you know, are, are very thankful. And for me, I, it's just, that's what you got to do. You know, if you've got nothing tying you down, screw it. Just leave. Friends will still be there. You'll have Facebook. Yeah. Or they won't, and you'll realize exactly. that they weren't really friends. You know what I mean? Exactly. And that they they got more out right. of you than you did out of them, which is kind of what has happened to me with a few people that well, I've known back then. You like uh, the movie Fight Club, right? I do. I love Chuck Palahniuk. I think he's got a little lazy <laughs> so lately. But one of the things I love about that movie was when he talks about friends and how some friends are meant mm -hmm. to be there for like, you know, a day, an hour, and some friends are there for their whole life. But they're still important. And that's the kind of way I looked at it, right? It's like, you know, you have, I would call them placeholder friends or something like that. You know, when you get people you meet in a plane, same thing. Yeah. I'll talk to anyone. Like yeah, single-serving serving friends. There you go, single-serving single friends. friends. I'll talk yep. to anyone when I'm traveling for that same reason. I've met some amazing people yeah. that I've known for four hours on a plane and never saw them again. But I, I still think about them. Right. And then you sit there and say, I have friends I've yeah. known since I was five that I could really just do without. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm like, hey, it was cool. We had a good run. Just you are a garbage human being. So I'm, 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 I'm good. Yeah. You know we shouldn't talk, right? Like, we really need to end yeah. this. Like, no, you will not break exactly. up with me. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I think you know, friends. I, I think overall, the whole the whole move thing. Obviously, it's mm -hmm. not for any everyone. Like, we were we were both in a situation we we were very free right. to be able to do that. Uh, it was still a risk and it is a risk, but you know, I think there, like you said, you, there's small things you can do and there are pivotal, huge things that you can do depending on the situation in your life. But I think overall the whole goal, what, what's really missing when you find yourselves in those vicious circles and it's what I would call maybe if it's like a lighter form of depression, like I'll call mine depression light. Um, but it's finding peace. And I think that should be really the focus is trying to find some sort of peace and, and tranquility with your life. Um, and understanding that that peace is a really good thing and that it doesn't mean that you're boring or you're missing out on something or that there's something wrong, but just, you know, finding that moment where you can sit on your couch by yourself in complete silence for more than an hour is a very, very happy place to be in for me. And I found it, um, for those that can't make those giant strides and those who aren't really getting the traction with maybe simple things like working out or believe it or not, I think ironing shirts is a very, really? I can't I like stand ironing. ironing. Really... I never, ever got into That's it. Okay. But real quick. I know you mentioned before, and I want to say something it. to it was that you said yeah. you didn't have insurance. And for a long time, I didn't either, right? Because, mm -hmm. hello, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's expensive. Right. But, you know, what was funny was, actually not funny, but what I decided was when I wasn't feeling it, I knew I needed help, but I couldn't afford, you know, out of pocket to go see a therapist. There's tons of resources. Right. And because Philly is a really big university school and a huge uh, medical uh, yeah. city, I started going to all the universities and seeing if I could see graduate students who'd see me for little to no cost. Mm -hmm. And then I even started um, entering in like study groups 
so literally I, I went to UPenn mm-hmm. and I was part of this five month, um, you know, intensive, long research study thing about the human brain. And they would literally give you free cognitive therapy with a guy who legit, not even kidding, wrote the book on cognitive mm-hmm. therapy because he would, <laughs> he, was, he was almost like tattooers. Like he would just do like a guest chair around the, around the world and just work at different universities for months. So he was at this one and I got to get free therapy and they even gave you like part of the study was like one week you're taking a placebo and then the next week you're taking actual antidepressants. And that was part of the study along with some other stuff I won't get into, but Hey, you you do what you got to do for free therapy. And I mean, but again, it's the same thing. It's not to say that, um, you know, that just because you can't afford it doesn't mean that there's no options for you. That's it. Mm -hmm. It's true. And so that's Mm -hmm. exactly where I was leading. Uh, way to steal my thunder. Get your own podcast, no, Jose. <laughs> um, and then I was going to follow it up with, if you're in a smaller community mm-hmm. where that doesn't exist, do right. what you did. Make it exist. Find people. Make that your purpose is to find others and come together and try to find a way to work thing and work through the things in a forum that is approachable and maybe that's maybe that's something that you can bring back to the world and it can also help you as well um that said where do we find more out about sure. creatives against if you depression? go to creativesagainstdepression.com uh you'll see our our blog we also have a medium publication for people who like that platform um and we also have a facebook page so if you go to facebook.com slash creators against oppression all one word you can find us there um and we also if you go to together we got this.org uh you'll be able to see uh the site for together we got this and join that list to be kept up to date on weekly uh support group meetings and that sort of thing um one thing that obviously everyone's been hitting us up ever since announcing it is, well, I don't live there. Can I, can we, we'd love to start something like this um, in our community. So we are really working on that, you know, um, making sure we get all the, everything right and making sure that we actually, uh, since obviously we just had our first meeting this week, that we give it a few weeks right. to, to see kind of iron out the kinks, see what really works, get in, and, and get it kind of uh, buttoned up. And of course, cover all our own bases to make sure we can do this. And then we're going to start, you know, uh, sending out packets to people who want to start something in their own community so that people can start getting the help they need. That's awesome. And then, uh, guys, you can find Jose as well on the Angry Millennial Show. Um, it's a podcast about all things creative. It's awesome. Um, that's yeah. how Jose and Joseph's I have been on there. He's listening to his listening. episode because he got a great one. <laughs> It's one of the most popular, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's an awesome podcast. And uh, Jose has actually helped me directly and indirectly putting this podcast together as well. So I can't oh, thank you man. enough, man. And um, I'll be sure to post all the wonderful links on the website. And we will talk to you all next week. 